This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hi friends, Jake here, just jumping in to say that this episode was recorded way back in January of 2022, which was before we decided on this sort of new direction we're going with with the podcast, uh, thinking more broadly about adaptation. If you do want to hear more about that and what to expect in the future, go listen to last week's episode called A Man Named Twix, based on the story that Caleb got told down the pub. But yeah, this is very much a classic episode where we just think about telling the story through theatre, and because it was recorded in January, there are some references to that time of year, such as Omicron and the like, but on the whole, like that ever-ending story, it is pretty timeless. Here's the pod. This is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you, maybe like it, maybe don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films, and more that have never been staged before, or are never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we'd stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello. Hello, Caleb, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Did you have a good New Year, Christmas? I had a lovely time. We had the whole Baron clan down, so it was it was nice. Oh, no, I, we, I was, we managed to get off. through our Christmas Maybe Like It party without any COVID cases, which was a small <laughs> yeah. miracle, really. Unbelievable, really. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> um, but this week, we are not alone. We are joined by an educator and stage manager, and that is Sally Garner-Gibbons. Hello. Hi. How are you? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Lovely to see you both. Good to see you too. Sally, maybe you could give uh, our listeners a, a bit of just briefly a bit of insight into the sort of work you get up to um well i wear many hats uh as you said i think i um uh i managed to fit in about three or four different jobs into one working week but i'm mainly a stage manager in theater so um i look after all things backstage but in the last few years i've moved into education so i teach now and i have a whole bunch of incredible young uh i like to call them my stage cadets and, uh, and and I'm teaching them about backstage work, so I work with them a lot. So whenever I'm doing a stage managing job, they come with me um, and we work together. It's really cool. Oh, awesome. Cool. Um, and you've brought the film this week. Yeah. Um, what what film have you brought us? I have brought The NeverEnding Story. <laughs> and, um, and so NeverEnding Story was uh, a 1984, an iconic oh my God. children's classic. Absolutely. It was an a total cult film when I was a kid. Um, I don't think we knew the word cult when we were in, the, when, in those days. We just knew that it was one of the most epic things we'd ever seen. <laughs> so it was directed by Wolfgang Peterson and it was actually, at the time, it was the most expensive film ever to have been made outside of the United States or the Soviet yeah. Union. Yeah. So it cost $25 million <laughs> and it made back $100 million at the box office, yeah. which was like huge returns, especially, you know, I, these days, I don't even know how much that would add up to, but a lot of money, basically. So it was it was massive. Who does it star, Caleb? Who does it star? It stars. Well, it stars a, a bunch of kid actors, basically. Yeah. So it started. These are all people. Uh, so it stars Noah Hathaway, Barrett Oliver, Tammy uh, Stronach, and others. So people that you might not have heard of because they've gone on to do other things. Yeah. Noah Hathaway, I believe, runs a tattoo parlor he with does, his wife it, in California. Come, people played. come specifically to him to, to get tattoos from the movie. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine they do. He was so gorgeous. He played. 
um, Atreyu. I remember his name because I used to imagine I had a boyfriend called Noah when I was that age. Um, and he was he was just incredible. He was so brilliant in it. But, and yeah. he does not wear a T-shirt the entire movie. It's no. a, it, well, <laughs> if we're talking about um, sort of like 80s sensibilities to using child actors, I was reading he got three quite serious injuries during this film one of which was during the scene where the horse drowns oh. which we'll get into he he was dragged underwater and when they got him back up he was unconscious oh my god um and one of them was with the final fight with the wolf thing. Um, he got poked in the eye and nearly lost his eye. Oh, my goodness. So it, and then didn't even use that shot. In those days, there was no such thing <laughs> as health and safety. Yeah, very different time. Very, very, very different, different time. time. We might as well bring it up now. There was also no such thing as women, apparently. There are two female-speaking parts in this film. One of them is regularly called a wench. And the other is, is a small child and only appears in the last five so minutes. So the one who's the wench, is she, the little, is she one of those little gnome women? Is she the gnome? Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Do you know, I didn't even think about that. I just remember wanting to be the princess when I was that age. Because um, her, we assume, husband, the scientist, um, <laughs> tells her to get the winch for the uh, telescope. Oh, yes. He says, get the winch, get the winch wench. wench. Which... <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it was also it was uh, also the beginnings of some excellent script writing yes yeah, of course yes um, um before we go any further then maybe sally you could give us a rundown of the plot for those that have not had the opportunity to see the never ending oh, story man. or need to read it in german or japanese so for me oh yeah so for me it was it was um the fact that it was a fantasy film was a really exciting thing for me as a kid because i'd only ever really watched um, films about real people. Uh, and so it was just totally overwhelmingly brilliant. And I think it's part of the reason why I am quite vehemently against, not against, I just don't want many much other fantasy because I, I felt like this kind of set the bar for me. But essentially it's the story of a boy called Bastian who at the beginning of the film is running away from some bullies and to hide from them he runs into a little bookshop, little kind of finickety little bookshop. And... Um, the chap in the bookshop, who's kind of a bit odd, is reading The NeverEnding Story, although you don't really know it's called that yet. Uh, and uh, Bastian kind of stays in the store while the bullies run away, and then they run away eventually, but he's kind of happy there. And then eventually he says to the bookseller, "Who? what is what is that book? And he said, oh, I can't tell you. It's a super secret book. Um, it's too dangerous for you. And so Bastian, I think, buys another book and off he goes or something. But he, before he leaves, he manages to secrete this book in his backpack and takes it to his school and he hides it somewhere in the school. I remember him climbing up somewhere, like in the gym or something. Um, it's the attic. Oh, there you go. So he hides it in the attic. In the, in the, you know, in the, the school, school attic. <laughs> like all schools have, right? An attic. <laughs> Obviously. I remember, I remember him, like, when I, I watched it a lot when I was, like, a very, very small because my uncles loved it. Yeah, yeah. And I remembered, I remembered it being that he was, like, take it home and it was set over, like, several weeks and he would read it, like, in loads of different places. But no, it's just one day yeah. he goes up yeah, to the attic it. of his school and reads the entire book. There. And also, I worry about... <laughs> where did his parents think he was <laughs> the whole time reading care. his book he didn't come home from school anyway i was a bit worried but well, his mom's dead because there are no women allowed in this film oh but yeah that's probably his, what it was. But his dad doesn't care dad doesn't care and his brothers are fine so uh he hides this book upstairs and then of course he starts reading and he he kind of gets immersed in this story so the, the rest of the film is about the book and the story that he's reading in the book but it's kind of magically uh, switches between him reading the book and then the characters in the story doing the book. And the story that he's reading, the never-ending story, is about um, a young boy, obviously, as we've learned, because there are no girls, um, called Atreyu, who has to rescue a princess. Or no, there's there's a the land that they live in is called Fantasia, and Fantasia is being taken over by 
um, a thing called the nothing. It's like this negative, ominous force. And uh, Atreyu has been tasked with going to, I think he has to go find the princess um, because she'll be able to save the the um, Fantasia from the nothing. Um, yeah. He, is that right? He has to like get a cure. He has to get a cure for her because she's ill. Oh, yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, that's it. And then, oh yeah. And then the whole thing at the end, right? So yeah, he has to go find a cure because <laughs> I think that's what the, that's why the world is ending and then she'll be able to stop the nothing. Um, and then the nothing sends out a baddie. It's a wolf thing called Gamork who is chasing Atreyu to try and stop him. And then the nothing sort of takes over the land. And as Atreyu is traveling through on his beautiful horse, Artax, ooh, Artax, uh, he comes up against all sorts of fantastical creatures. Um, that my favorite moment in the whole film, I think, is at the beginning when you first see the nothing um, kind of taking over Fantasia. There's this, there's this magical mountain thing, creature called the Rock Biter, um, who eats rocks. That's how he survives. And then how he's running away from the, from the nothing and these tiny little snail, magical snail creatures are also running away from the nothing because it's kind of encroaching on their land. Um, but they're super speedy. Ooh, they can go so fast. And then, um, yeah, then it's just a sort of trace. Oh, so, oh, there you go. That's why they go so fast. It's a racing snail. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it has been since the 80s since I last saw this film. So this is coming from <laughs> the deep, dark depths of my memory. I'm genuinely impressed. Yeah, I'm incredibly impressed. <laughs> right? So there's the rock biter and then the fast snails. Um, and then, yes, yeah, sadly, his horse dies in the swamp. And I think that was something to do with he meets this this um, like a turtle like character who seems to be this wise. I think she's a woman, right? Mola? She a female character? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah she's, she's a woman. A feminine, actually, probably. A feminine yeah. force. Yeah. But she's actually a turtle. turtle. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she gives him some advice about how to go about the kind of she sends him towards, I think, the um, the two little gnome people. Um, and in part of that journey, unfortunately, Artax dies. And then he gets very knackered um, and he gets really tired on his journey and he's just about to sort of fade away and die. And he's rescued by the Luck Dragon. And all my dogs in my life since then have all looked like the Luck Dragon. They've all been like Falcor. <laughs> he looks like a little Maltese poodle that can fly. <laughs> and then the Luck Dragon takes him on the rest of his journey. And then the story gets a little bit lost in that... <laughs> They kind of now have to tell you what happens at the end of the story. And basically he goes to this place that has an a oracle. The oracle, there you go, which is a fantastical gate place. And then he has to go and, and look into the gate, which actually one of them is a mirror. And then he sees yeah. Bastian, the boy who's reading the book. And the boy who's reading the book can't believe that he's in the story. And he thinks he's gone mad and he throws the book away because he's terrified. Um, but then he can't bear it anymore because he's worried about the princess dying. So he picks the book up again and Atreyu's alive again. And then essentially, uh, Atreyu does make it to the princess who's, who's right on the edge of Fantasia and then nothing has just reached her, her tower. Um, and she's really dying and she's poorly and it, and I can't remember who, but somebody says that he has to rename her in order to cure her. Is it Atreyu who says that? It's the yeah, Oracle so, when he gets to the Oracle. Oh, the Oracle, right. Yeah. You've got to find a new Says name. Yeah. A, hu a human child needs to rename Oh, the there you go. And then Bastian realises yeah. that's him. And then he's too scared to do it. But then he does do it and he shouts out the window. And I never knew what he shouted out the window because he says it so loud and so quickly that it never registered for me what her name was. But um, I since learned that it's Moonchild. So, he so apparently it's Moonchild in the book, but in the film it's his mother's name and it's on purpose that you can't hear what his mum's name is. Oh. Um, apparently. Wow, you have done your research. Well, there you go. <laughs> so he, sh he shouts out Moonchild and that's maybe why I never knew what it was. Um, and then that's it. Then she's fine. And then Bastian somehow ends up 
riding the luck dragon and knocks the bullies over into a big dumpster. The end. Yeah, I mean, basically the idea is that at the end he he gets to rebuild Fantasia from his own thoughts yeah, and so ideas. Yeah, so Fantasia is ultimately... his imagination. Like, that's right, yeah. So Fantasia is ultimately imagination and the idea of the never-ending story is that the story is now his and he can see the story from his perspective and then it carries on and carries on and carries on. Um, yeah. And the reason I Sweet. loved it was, the reason I like the idea of staging it is because it doesn't matter that it's not the most brilliant story with the most clever ending, but it's yes. epic. It's totally epic. And it just yes. lends itself so brilliantly to being a play. And I think as well, like as a piece of, um, you know, like family theatre that is oh, yeah. open and accessible to all, it, it has that sort of inspirational thing of like the, like you say, the point is, is that it's it's a story about how great storytelling is yeah. and how fun it is to make up your own stories. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that as a piece of theatre is really exciting because totally. it's like, here's us showing you a story, but you can make up your own story. Yeah. And that's really cool. And as a feminist, yeah. I think I don't. I don't feel like it's um, a boy rescuing a princess. I feel like it's children uh, using their imagination to to kind of pave their way. Mm. So I really like that as a story. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two plot things I think we might that might come up later that I'll mention now. Okay. Uh, One is that uh, there's one moment where the princess, when she's trying to get the boy to call out the name, says explains to um, the what's the warrior called? Atreyu. Atreyu explains to Atreyu that uh as well as hit the boy reading the book there are also some people watching the film that the boy is in <laughs> and and that, and that he doesn't know that either and then he sort of sort of the voice of looks around oh, a little yes, bit and then like, but then yeah. they just never bring it up again that's, that's it that's, 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 that's me <laughs> um, i was so the that guy watching the film that's yeah. so good. um and then uh, also just to mention because i just love it um well i don't i don't love it but it's it's great and terrible at the same time atreyu drowns because the swamp is a, like a swamp of misery uh-huh. oh, yes. it's called the deadly swamp of sadness okay <laughs> and uh the horse gets sad and that's why he dies oh yeah he yeah. doesn't oh he... i remember but that there's, also, there's just no reason but given then, why the horse gets sad yeah, well. I, I, well, then the thing that i found really weird was that and then obviously because his horse has died atreyu gets really sad but yeah. he's fine he doesn't yeah. drown <laughs> in, the, in the swamp of sorrow <laughs> look it doesn't have anyway, to make sense no, um, it doesn't. absolutely. It doesn't. But I remember that. I remember that, and I have to say, I would say ninety percent of the time, whenever I'm swimming, I'm imagining that I am a Treyu and I'm screaming out for Artax in the water, and I still do that now as a grand old age of forty-five. I'm still, I'm still imagining my horse drowning. Bro, okay, let's. Well, let's <laughs> let's move into staging it then. Yeah. Um, Sally, did you have any sort of like thoughts of like you know, just coming from like a broad concept of how you would begin to stage well, this well of course of course so um i feel so one of the the styles of theater that i love that i've worked on a lot over the years that i really really love is i love site specific and open air theater i think that's really mm. really exciting so i think this would make a really brilliant film if it, a play rather if it was staged outdoors as a as a kind of promenade piece so so each of the the story sections could be set up somewhere but could be particularly um, beautiful and almost like the world that you create for the audience is Fantasia. So, you know, yes. there, there could be a foyer area where there's a little bit of the nothingness creeping in and, um, and then, yeah, and then you go on the journey. The, the audience kind of go on the same journey that Atreyu goes on. Do you have a, a like specific site in mind or is this Ooh. more general than that? What a good question. No, I don't have a particular site in mind. I mean, anywhere that 
anywhere that you could have the landscape that the film suits, I think. So somewhere where yeah. there's where there's maybe a, a couple of little little hills, maybe some forest and woodland, a little bit of water. Well, I was just thinking about um, Jake and I have both visited um, a theatre in Keswick in the Lake District called Theatre by the Lake. Oh, I know it. And I know it well. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can imagine doing something out of there, oh, right? Man, and you could yeah. go around the lake and up a hill near there. And, That's perfect. And, there's... and the wonderful thing about that lake, um, I've actually walked... What lake is that? Is it Windermere? That is Derwent Water, Derwent Water I think. Right. So I've definitely walked around it because we visited some friends who were working at the Theatre on the Lake um, only a few years ago. And um, the, the thing that was remarkable about that area was that the landscape changes, actually, as you walk yes. around. So there's some, there's some kind of boggy, swampy areas, and then there's some beautiful green, lushy um, hillsides. And, and uh, yeah, it was, that would be amazing there. Brilliant. Well, there, there's all the setting then. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Well, Caleb, did you have any any different initial idea? We could maybe we could we we haven't for a while because we're so boring. We haven't talked about our own ideas, but <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, I my my first thought went to which is my the thing is my idea is boring because my first thought just went to like okay like big like theater like in a big proscenium march theater lots of crazy puppets like we build like a 16 foot 20 foot tall rock monster like we do all the gizmos and gadgets and 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 all the fun stuff but i actually think um you know picking out that idea about like the never-ending story is about like us inventing the story and us like us you know the only reason the story exists is because we're we're experiencing it i actually think site specific therefore is way more interesting because you're you're in a space but you all of the fancy elements you're placing onto that space with your own imagination i think that's way more exciting i really like um i really like the idea that the audience is kind of immersed in it as well so you know the idea of, of running away from the nothing is feels to me like it could be a really big element of it and um, I did a, a, an open air piece in Chichester a few years ago uh, called Crossing Lines. It was in, it was in the city of Chichester and, and um, it was a promenade piece so that we, we walked around the city, but the audience, in order to ensure that only they were hearing what was happening and we didn't pick up members of the public, the company all had um, microphones on and the audience wore um, headphones, a bit like a silent disco. So whatever was being said, um, the audience could hear through their headphones. So if they were part of a long crowd of people, they could still hear at the back what was being said. It was really brilliant. Um, and I feel like with something like this, we could do a similar experience. So the audience could have headphones on and we could be playing in sounds of the nothing, you know, rumbling from behind yeah. and, and and the audience could be escaping. So a little bit like, um, you know, when the when the racing snails do their race or when the rock biter is kind of, mon- you know, marching through, you can always the audience could be part of that process, could be hiding behind things and trying to escape themselves. I think that's awesome. I think as well, it, it, it gives you the opportunity to sort of, I guess, cover up maybe what, what you can't create. What, like, you know, you could create a huge rock biter puppet, but it can't then also move about loads of places. Yeah. So you can kind of add that in through sound design as well. Yeah. And, uh, and also, yeah, having the chase, you know, being chased by the nothing is a great way of just being able to move your audience from place to place without much effort because yeah. you just say oh we've got to get away from the nothing and then you run to the next place which I think yeah Definitely. I think that's really neat as well the rock biter to me feels like a character that is uh, it does it is in a fixed position but it has more than one person involved in puppeteering it so you yes. know it would be so big that it would take sort of eight or nine people to, to puppeteer the rock yeah, biter that would be awesome yeah. I love the thing it has that is basically a um, a segue 
but like made of rocks. Yeah. Like that's how it moves around. Yeah, it's I pretty cool, right? Absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> I hadn't even, I had not made that connection in my mind that it's basically a rock segue. That's so good. <laughs> Um, um, well, what's great as well about the, the rock biter actually is you have him introduced at the beginning of the st- the never ending story, and then he comes back later in this sort of like tragic, you know, eleventh hour moment with the hero, yeah. um, where he's sort of like egging a trail on to like you know complete his quest. Um, you can have that happen in the same place, I think. Yeah, you can and, come back around again. Exactly, and and it can be like another moment with the puppet, and it, and yeah, you kind of have that opportunity. I guess you have the opportunity, right, of like. You, the site specific is great because it, it immerses the audience but it also like I guess as I already mentioned like we can place whatever we want onto that as well in the moment yeah. and, and it can just be like okay now it's this and then we come back around and we're like okay we're in the same place but mm. it's actually this place now instead and I think mm. people are willing to go along with that because they feel part of the action when they're in a site specific show mm. anyway but the thing that I've learned I, I, over the years about audiences is they will believe whatever you tell them you, yes. you, you don't have to nothing has to be realistic nothing has to appear as it is in the text, even, you know, if you as a, as a, as a theatre creator are making a world, um, I don't know, the, this playwright has written about a world that, you know, is, is in someone's house, but you've created it out of bubbles and, and fluffy clouds. As long as you're telling the audience, this is it, this is the room that we are supposed to be in, the audience will totally believe you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I think I completely agree with that. I think also I love, I would be really keen because we could, there's a version of this where we just cut away everything and it becomes like one quest. We meet two characters. Yeah. Um, maybe it's, you know, yeah, as you say, like, I, I think this is, cries out for puppets and the design is probably the best thing about the film. It's just incredible totally. to look at absolutely. even, even now. Yeah. I don't think it's a moral life lesson that it hoped it would be all those years ago. You know, I don't yeah. think it's trying to tell us anything about, you know, it's not an indictment on human nature or anything like that. Although I think it wants to be, it's just saying, use your imagination, have a bit of fun. And I think yes. theater is, theater is the best place in the world for that. Yeah, yeah, it does because it tries to sort of do the the Peter Pan thing of like no one believes in magic anymore, yeah. but it doesn't quite it doesn't quite do it. <laughs> no. Um, uh, but no, I was going to say that the thing that like the most impressive part of like the story structure to me is is that like the, that rock character and the and the snails and the and the bat that we see at the beginning oh, as like bat. sort of this sort of the little old man, the, the little old man, and the bat. We see oh <laughs> we see we see them as like um, the standard like for beginning of a film expositional characters that they may not necessarily die but they introduce you to the story and then they leave and then we're yes. actually we're following someone else but then the fact that then later we come back and we hear about they've had their own story while yeah. we've been gone i love that as like a creating a big world where lots well, of things continue to happen yes is there an opportunity here then perhaps and maybe this is a little over ambitious but where um where actually you don't have to follow Atreyu as an audience member, but you can choose who <gasps> to follow. Like, because so, we have this opening with the creatures and the rock biter, and then we go to the palace, and the, and Atreyu is being given his quest. What if at that point, from there, you can follow Atreyu, or you can follow the people we we're already yeah. speaking to, or there's even a setup of another plot, and you could follow that, and they all spread out across this area, and there's lots of different plots, and they interact with each other, and then also come back together. This brings me to my big question, which yes. is, this is a kids' film yeah <laughs> is our play aimed at kids because i think that on that's the way to answer your question caleb i think if this is a kid's play then we want to follow one kid on their quest and we want to meet the characters and the puppets and have fun with them and really feel immersed in the story as the people on the quest well, if it's not for kids 
then yeah. Sally's going to disagree with me anyway. So I'm <laughs> yeah. no, no, I've got it. <laughs> Go I've got it. I think you're right. I think it is for kids, but I think it's a family play because I think it's one of those plays where you can give such nuance to the characters, like well, like all of them really, and 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 they can have some adult themes to them that only the adults will get, and I think they'll enjoy the story. I love the mm. idea of of it being almost like a choose your own adventure story, which would be amazing. And in fact, that is almost exactly what we did with Crossing Lines. I keep going back to that play. It was one of the most amazing uh, kind of theatrical experiences, I think, that I got to work on. But we did exactly that. So we split the audience into three and there were three journeys. Yeah. But each of each of the three journeys that you went on all eventually went through the same. They all saw mm. the same plot of the story just at different times. And then we had to meet at the end for a big finale, which was amazing. Timing, it was so complicated. <laughs> but what i'd imagined yeah. with this is is i love that idea of those worlds don't stop when you've left when you've left the, the that part of the promenade or wherever you are in the story so i'd sort of imagined that we'd have an interval um and i imagined that the interval would kind of be around about the time that he gets to the oracle now, i know that feels like almost at the end of the story but i love the idea of leaving the audience with him seeing the boy in the mirror i think that's such a brilliant moment and then the yeah. end of it is all the other weird bits that you have to tie up and then it's the end and then it's the remaking of his own story. But it, during the interval, the audience will come back to wherever they started, I would imagine, um, to buy their drinks and their popcorn. Um, and the foyer will have changed slightly, like the nothing will have got to the foyer. So when they arrive, yeah. maybe it's very, very beautiful and like little little nods to the nothing. But when they get to the foyer, the nothing has destroyed the foyer, let's say. So so it's all very dark. But then they can wander around a bit. And when they wander around, they can go back and see the Rockbiter and go and have, you know, sit and have a little picnic at the foot of the Rockbiter or, or yeah. go and see where, go back to the water where, where um, Artax drowned. I mean, that doesn't sound <laughs> brilliant. But, you know, or go into the little the little gnome's house or even, even kind of sit on the luck dragon and go meet Falcor. Yeah. And then they meet again and they carry on the journey from the Oracle after that. I, I really love that. I think as well, um, if that's if that's where you place the interval, which I think is really a neat place to do it. And and I agree, like, although it's quite far on in yeah. where, the way the film does it, actually there's a lot more you could do with that second half. Um, and actually you could make it you could make it much shorter. I guess I, I think you could have these separate storylines that all they all find their way back to Atreyu. So like one of them could be like, um, you know that the night that he sees get killed by the Sphinxes? Like yeah. what if you followed the knight on his oh, yeah. quest and then you and then you get to the Sphinxes and then the knight gets killed and you're like, what? And then Atreyu <laughs> just comes in and you're like, oh, we're joining Atreyu's story again and Atreyu is here nice. and Atreyu makes it through the Sphinxes. I think that, and, and again, the rock bite, like if you followed the rock biter and his friends and then they get taken by the nothing and then you're left there and then Atreyu meets the rock biter and uh and and you're like oh now we we have another story that we can yeah. join and it's the hero's story and I think as well that gives a sense that there's all these other stories and this whole world going on but also they're getting smaller and smaller as it goes along because the nothing is like encroaching further and further yeah. into Fantasia um so I yeah I think and then and then that means that the second act which will be shorter um the whole audience is together for it and that's when we get the real like meaty plot stuff and the important stuff yeah and i'm a i'm a huge fan of a short act two big fan of, yes. a, of a very short act two um in fact i'm a quite a big fan of a one actor <laughs> <laughs> so are we <laughs> um, but uh yeah so i I'm, I'm very into that idea that we see the majority of the story we've learned as much as we can at the beginning and then the second half is just a 30 35 minute roundup of where we were and and kind of fulfilling everybody's dreams and then moving on yeah mm. absolutely well so, you mentioned the, the mirror 
and then that being the point of the interval. Yeah. If if we're doing this sort of, in, I don't know how immersive we're making it. Are we just watching? I'll, I'll get to my question. It, okay. So I have all these kind of questions about like how immersive it is, and essentially like what I think is really unique, at least about the book, which I haven't read, but from what I've read, the book is like the film, but focuses more on this relationship between yeah. the kid and the world. Um, what's interesting about it in in a certain way is the way that you know he he cries out no when uh, uh, when the horse dies and the people in the characters in the story here yeah. and the scene in the yeah. mirror yeah. and then of course at the end the whole idea is that he has to call out this name um which is funny that it's such a like a low effort task <laughs> make such a big deal out of it anyway um but anyway uh and this idea that like oh the quest is is actually kind of pointless in that he was with the princess to start with the tray but the idea is that he has to go on the quest to draw the boy into the story so that he cares yeah. and all this yeah. kind of stuff and i really like all of those themes um and the question is in this version do we have a little boy it like i guess like i've not seen starlight express but my understanding is that's sort of what it is where yeah. it's a musical where a kid is like reading a book and then the play happens yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's kind of the only time we care is it like that where like there's just a boy that's reading a book and then like occasionally we'll see him because he pops into the story because he has control over it or do we sort of twist it more and give the audience that are, are actually watching this performance that agency somehow and bring I them think, to it i think i think we should make it like the never-ending story so he so the boy who plays bastian is is reading the book and that's the story that he's seeing you know unfold in his in front of his eyes and maybe mm-hmm. maybe it isn't a book maybe he's maybe he's making a film of it or something so when he lifts his camera up that's when the stories begin i don't know i'm spitballing here but i think that i think we as the audience then we are watching him so yeah if so when the audience interact with the, the piece in some way so um maybe they do gasp or maybe they say oh no or you know they do that kind of almost pantomime thing of he's behind you only he, only Bastian, hears the audience. Only Bastian notices, you know, or if somebody brushes mm. past him, rather than the characters in the story. And then it becomes who's watching them, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That is, I, I like that. I think um, in terms of that, like, opening, there's even maybe an opportunity of, if you're doing it at Theatre by the Lake, of, like, starting it in the theatre and ending it in the theatre. Yeah. And so we're, like, seeing the boy, like, we could have him reading the book and it's like it starts like it's a normal stage play and then it goes outside and it becomes this whole other world well there's a great theatrical trick um that i that we have to do in order to show when it when not when atreo looks in the mirror we have to see bastian um mm. and you can do that with a with a, is a very famous theatrical um trick called pepper's ghost uh, of course right so but you can only do that in a pros theater. You can only do that in a pros theater where you can hide things um, in the wings and you've got um, a mirror right. and a trap door and stuff. So what I've been thinking all the time is how are we going to do the Pepper's Ghost thing, which is when we'll make, as soon as Atreo looks at the mirror, there is a 3D version of, of, of Bastion standing there. But Bastion isn't yeah. because we can see Bastion somewhere else. We know that he's in a different part of the building. So yes. um, we have to do that in the theater. So that's a brilliant idea. That's a solve. Yeah. We'll do Pepper's well, Ghost in the that... of the lake. I was going to say, yeah, well, you could even do like the, the entrance with the sphinxes and, and like that, that challenge is the entrance to the theater or something like yeah. that. And that, and so we, so we, we find a natural Oracle. route in. Yes. And the Oracle is the theater. Oh, <laughs> and that's just, that's got like a triple double meaning. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> hey, that's so good. I love that. I think that's great. So are there several 
bastions when we split up do we each follow our own bastion or maybe not a bastion but someone else reading the story or yeah yeah potentially See, this is, well that's what i was thinking about right is either we follow s- several bastions or if we've started all together with a bastion and we've got to know his like basic oh, shit, story he's called bastion because he's the bastion of hope whoa <laughs> <laughs> mind blown so if we if we started with Bastion and we've got like the basic understanding of who he is and what his story is, and then we're like let loose in Fantasia, and then we're brought back to together for that moment where um, Bastion is realizing that he's like part of the story and Atreyu is seeing Bastion. I kind of think that's maybe enough for most of the audience to kind of get it in that like you don't necessarily have to follow Bastion all of the rest of the time like i think if you're following a Treyu story you're following bastion but maybe yeah. these other separate stories aren't following bastion but you know you know about him you know he's reading the book with you and then you you're going to see him again when you get to the end of the second act at uh, the end of the first act anyway and then all of the second act you're going to be with him anyway because yeah. we're all going to be together yeah. for that so i think ah, there's kind of I enough see. of bastion that you could kind of get away with not having him in all the sort of subplots as well do you think yeah and do I you think, think we give do you think we give copies of the never-ending story to members of the audience when we leave when we leave the bastion our bastion uh does, yes does one group of people have a little have a young person at the front of their group who has the never-ending story book so they they don't have to do anything with it it's just a symbol but then we're following yes. that boy's or that child's journey into that part of the story and then somebody else gets a copy of the never-ending story and they are the, the young person going on the other journey yes yeah i think that's a really really neat way of handling maybe that. it has just little instructions in it like go to the thing yeah yes yeah follow the, follow the green rabbit. ribbon yeah yes. your journey yes. follows the green ribbons or something so yeah so at least they can I, do that journey i guess yeah i guess that's making me think about like sort of how how big an audience do you think the, the sort of capacity for this would be how how big does it get before it stops working well look here you have to decide whether making a profit is important to you. <laughs> well, we have an unlimited budget on this podcast, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, okay. So if I, was, if I was a producer talking, I would say as many people as possible so that we can sell as many tickets. Yes. I feel, though, that, and from my experience in Promenade Theatre, it gets crowded very quickly. So the more yeah. people you have in, a, in, a, in an outdoor space, the more they push against each other and try to be in the front row... And then anybody further back tends to get lost a little and they and, and the most of the scene is about them jumping up and down to kind of see if they can hear things or see things. So I think the smaller the audience, the better. It becomes more intimate and more, you know, I don't know, it's a bit more of an inspired piece of work then because you can you can hear and feel everything. So I would say you would want a small group of people with each with each journey, maybe 10 or 15 people max. Yeah. Well, to be fair, if we did, let's say we did, three or maybe four journeys you're then looking at like you know a, a decent audience Plus size of like 45 yeah. 60 yeah. by the time we get back together yeah so that's kind of you know it's not a bad and size you could even do some things like um if the second act only has like two of the characters in you could have like two atreus and two whatever else is in the second act and then everyone else could like be starting the first act again and you could do two performances and like overlapping each other and oh, get yeah. in that way i mean um, practically you, you have to it be could careful be a, with sound because you don't want to be playing the say, rock biter when you're trying to do an intimate well, scene at the end what i was gonna yeah. say it could be the never-ending story the audiobook and everyone's got it in their headphones yeah yeah uh, i've just i've just got the uh how do we make money out of this hat, hat on right now but, um, <laughs> i'll put it away in a minute um 
I mean, to be honest, the puppets for this would cost, I, I think, millions. Yeah, the budget is going to yes. go out the window they on puppets, be... I'm afraid. I mean, Falcor, <laughs> I want Falcor to fly, and doing flying yeah. outdoors, I don't think it's ever been done unless you use an actual aeroplane or helicopter. So... <laughs> There's a bit where he flies through space. Yeah, yeah. so that's so going to be expensive. So we get the rocket ship out. Every day, every single performance, we get someone to do like a halo jump from the edge of space and fly <laughs> in. Just Jeff Bezos. In their dragon, like, what was that yeah, guy's name? Baum, was it Baumgart? No, what was his name? The guy who jumped out of space. Oh, on the balloon. No, the guy who free jumped. Oh, the Virgin thing. Yeah, what was his name? Baum, yeah, yeah, was yeah. it Baumgart? Oh. Was it? Oh, it might have been. I don't know. Yeah. We just get someone to do that. They have to start yes. at the half, and then we'll have longer to take, like an hour or something, to fall to it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that as an uh, idea. Yeah, but, Felix Baumgartner. Yeah, Baumgartner. you're right. That's wow. it. There you go. I don't know where that came from. And then, um, <laughs> but he has to be dressed as the luck dragon. As a dragon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's our introduction to the dragon. The never-ending story: Let Loose and Fantasia, starring <laughs> Felix Baumgartner. That's the story. Oh, that's yes. that's, a, that's, that's sells. That sells. I actually, <laughs> I thought the luck dragon was quite strange in in its introduction it's iconic oh, it's oh, oh, because in the book caleb in the book we meet him much earlier than that no but as in um the scene so he, the luck dragon picks up atreyu and like takes him and then like the scene where atreyu like wakes up did you not jake you watched this recently yeah, yeah, did, did you not yeah. find the dialogue very strange the dialogue throughout yeah. is really strange because yeah, he's <laughs> like the, to me that scene where he's like tickling behind his ear iconic i remembered that scene oh, vividly yes. from when i watched it as a kid didn't you want to when tickle him like, behind the ears yeah please yes, scratch my he's so, so he's so sweet <laughs> but i do know what you mean Kelly. for me it's slightly odd because he just appears out of nowhere and is like hello i'm the luck dragon i've come yeah. to save you with the opportunity it's because in in the book there's like a whole fight that they skip in the film that okay. involves the luck dragon oh. um and that's why he sort of appears out of nowhere yeah, in this one. It's, um, it's strange. <laughs> but there's a lot of that, like, uh, the artifacts to, like, the horse that we get really sad about. And we see the kid reading the book is a much better actor than the kid in the quest, is my, in my opinion. Totally, um, totally. The, the, kid, the kid reading the book is like, oh, my God, he's so upset. He's crying his eyes yeah, out. Yeah. But, like, in film runtime, between us meeting the horse and the horse dying, there is less than two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but we do love that horse. <laughs> Are we, like, um... That's why it's but, such a kid's film to me, because I remember when I was a kid, like, feeling really emotional. I remember it being, because it's called The Never Ending Story, I remember, I remember it being really long. Yeah, forever. Um, yes. Oh, that's something else I wanted to mention, actually. The reason why I think that is, is because it sort of doesn't do any film stuff, in yeah. that it doesn't skip time. It doesn't do, like, when the kid's getting the book out, like, if it was, like, a like a hot fuzz or something, you'd, like, like see one shot of him pulling the book, one shot of him lighting a candle, and then he'd be reading the book. But this thing, this 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 film... You get a two-minute shot, and you see him do all of it in real time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but to me, it's like, but they, it, yes, it makes it quite slow, but you feel like you're reading a book because it's yes, sort of all yeah, happening. It's deliberate. In, and, yeah, yeah, deliberate yeah. and slow and happening in real time, um, which I think is really nice. That does um, make and lends think itself of well a, to theatre. I guess a slightly boring practical question of, we already talked about the uh, many injuries that Noah Hathaway <laughs> got whilst filming this. <laughs> do we, do we cast Atreyu a bit older? Do we get like a, you know, like a young looking adult actor? Because I can't imagine like trying to do all the paperwork for a child actor to ride a horse every single day as part of this play or something. Well, like actually that. having a horse in this thing? No, no, no. The horse is a puppet. For sure the horse is a puppet. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, and they're right, going right, to, yeah. I mean, we're not going to use the war horse style but we the the puppet will be puppeteered by four or five puppeteers and the boy will sit comfortably on his back you know like we did in running wild um, okay yeah yeah so 
health and safety should be fine with that. But um, I quite like the idea of bo- the boy who's reading the book and whoever the whoever Atreyu is. I don't know if Atreyu needs to be a boy. Um, could be a similar age so that they're really, okay. you know, for me in the, in the film, they There's did appear very different ages. Them. And I always found that. Yeah. I struggled with that when I was, when I watched it as a child, I said, I couldn't understand why Atreya was so old. Um, yeah. but he isn't, I mean, he was only I was gonna I say, know, 15 is, or 16. Well, yeah, when I watched, they look the same age, but maybe that's just like, watching oh, I remember them being the same actor. I, I, oh, when I, yeah, when I, when I, I didn't, when I watched it just now, but when I was, when I was remembering it before I watched it, I remember because he sort of is, that's why when he like yes, shows yeah, his true self, yeah. he sees the boy, they sort of are reflections of each other and they do look quite similar. They've both got the sort of 80s oh. curtains haircut. Yeah. I thought they were the same kid. Oh no, I always imagined <laughs> that. I think I was, when was it? It was in 1984. Yeah. Yeah. Is that when it, so when did it come out as a film? It must have been, what, 87, 88? No, no, that no that's when film. it came out the as film a film. The film was 84. The Sorry. book's like 79, 78 Oh, no, I must have been, so I was, no, I can't possibly, how old was that? Seven, that makes me seven. No, I must have been older but it was when I watched what, it. The thing is, I think, at well, the time of VHSs and other, like, you know, non-streaming services, films would be big for longer. That's true, like, and yeah. also you wouldn't see them for for a year sometimes after they'd been in the cinema yeah i also think the uk release was quite a bit later than yeah i'm imagining that i was about 11 actually the first time i saw it and uh i identified with bastian i felt like i was very similar age to him like i must have been just a little bit younger um yeah and that the boy who played atreyu was much much older which is why i like to pretend he was my boy because i thought he was like (laughs) 15 (laughs) <laughs> it's really yeah. funny His, the actor's wikipedia page says former actor and teen idol <laughs> yeah you see teen idol definitely teen idol <laughs> which he has an even better job but what's the the guy that's not a tattoo he he has a, also has a wild and amazing job what does he do yeah he's a photographer oh, so, but, very but, cool. but not just basically what he is is he not what he is but what he's what it seems to have done is that he made so much money being a child actor that now he just gets to do like obviously like professional photographer is a very respectable profession but he does very specifically like 19th century style photography wow oh wow like he like it's like a really particular art like with the like big mastered. like plates and yeah and like yeah yeah oh that's so cool Oh wow! Um, so yeah, two very cool. That's jobs. so funky that there's well, <laughs> given as well like what happened to some child actors of that, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 that generation. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty much the the best way it could go. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, what is there? What else is there to talk about? I feel like we've covered a lot. So much, yeah, so little. I feel like first of all somebody should definitely have done this by now because it's yeah, such it an amazing crazy, yeah. story um, and it's just such an epic piece of theatre it's just you know when you when you look at all the, the, the kind of um, musicals that are being made at the moment like I'm thinking of Back to the Future which actually when yeah. when I was told about this podcast first of all that was the first thing that came to my mind I was like of course yes. it's got to be Back to the Future and I was like <laughs> oh no they've already done that um, I think we literally had a conversation about doing Back to the Future, like, and then like a week later they announced it was coming to the West yeah. End. I mean, something. it's the most <laughs> obvious choice for a musical, but yeah. Um, yeah. And then I thought the Neverending Story. It's got to be because it is just so big and so exciting. And because there's no yeah. real, there is no real story. You don't have to be stuck in the words. It can all yes. be about the spectacle, and that's what I really love. And of course, I think the cast should be um, majority of of young people. I think. 
I think that's what makes outdoor theatre for families magical is when young people are the performers too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and obviously you've had lots of experience yeah. of working in, in those. I mean, Running Wild was all young people in its first iteration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so, I mean, maybe you could explain a bit more about what Running Wild was. Yeah, so Running Wild was um, a Michael Morpurgo book um, based on a true story, in fact. Well, based on a, a news article that Michael Morpurgo read about the uh, tsunami in 2004? Four. Boxing yeah, Day tsunami. 2004, yeah. And and he read a newspaper article about um, a child who had been riding an elephant along the beach. And then when this, just before the tsunami hit, in fact, I think it was even a couple of hours before, this elephant just ran off into the hills and everybody was terrified and they thought the elephant had absconded with this child. And then two hours later, the tsunami hit. Um, and actually, mm. the child was okay. The child survived because the elephant ran off and actually managed to escape the worst of it. And so he wrote this play called Running Wild, which is a story about a child who's on the beach um, and an elephant runs off into the woods uh, before a tsunami hits. But actually, um, he then the story carries on and he meets orangutans and he lives in the woods. And it's just a really wonderful story. And, um, and then eventually he travels through the woods and he comes to a sanctuary for orangutans and he learns, he learns about the dangers of using palm oil and how that <laughs> destroys the environment of orangutans, which, you know, it's good to have a moral at the end of the story, but that was a bit incongruous for me. Anyway, um, but it's, it was a beautifully told story, and we did it with puppets, and um, we had an incredible young actor uh, playing the, the lead role who was just the most extraordinary young performer. And we had this life-size elephant. Uh, the elephant's name was Una in the story. Um, and there were one, two, three, four... One, two, three, four puppeteers moving this elephant, one person inside the body, one person inside the head, and then another person on the legs. It was inc incredible. Um, and then the, there were puppeteers doing the orangutans, and it was just a magical story. And the cast were all yeah. young people, just really Yeah, well, and actually, um, previous guest on the podcast, Fred Davies. Ah, was, was one of the puppeteers. one of the orangutan puppeteers. He was, and Fred is just, and, yeah, he's extraordinary, Fred. Yeah, yeah we had him on back in, um, well, he was... Yeah, our, that podcast episode was in October, doing Shaun of the Dead. So, oh, yeah. Um, he, oh, yeah. Great, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right, what a good one. Yeah, oh, yeah. so it's, that, it's but... people like Fred who who really are inspiring to me, actually, because Fred, you know, he became a puppeteer through doing the youth theatre shows um, just because, just because he was strong and intelligent and, and, he, and he kind of really understood performance. And so, I don't know, somebody saw a spark in him and said, why don't you try some puppeteering? And now that's what yeah. he does for a living, and he's he's just brilliant yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome, and and so yeah, definitely. I think the idea of making this um, a, a production using a young company is like a really exciting way of, yeah. like you say as well, like just bringing to life this like the excitement of the storytelling and the like energy and and the like youth that is already inherent in the story. I think that's really cool. And I think that the story is about young people's imagination. I think that is ultimately what yeah. the never ending story is about. And that's why the, the princess and Atreyu and Bastion are all children. You know, Atreyu yeah. and, and the princess could could be adults. They could be a grown up adventurer and a grown up princess, but mm. they're not. They're all children. And I remember watching it when I was young, thinking, Well that's funny that the princess is so little. You know, I couldn't yes. understand why she was a child. Um yeah. but I get it now because it's it's all about kids. It's all about the imagination and the incredible open positivity that young people have before they find yeah. out what the real world is like. Well, her, her official credited <laughs> character name is Childlike Empress, which the I think is weird. Childlike Empress. Um, Empress, yeah. Yeah, I mean and also I think as well in, in terms of when you're a child you can put so much emotion into these characters the the puppets aren't like they're beautiful but they're not very expressive actually yeah. there's yeah. one very funny shot to me 
it's a sequence actually where it's a bit like the end of avengers endgame when uh thanos realizes that he doesn't have the stones and that it like cuts back and forth between the reaction and then the other thing that's happening and what you're oh, yeah, looking at yeah. reaction other thing other something and in in the film it's you see the nothing is coming and the rock biter is like <laughs> reacting to the nothing coming do you remember this scene caleb yeah, recently? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very funny because it's two <laughs> shots one of just like a tree in the wind because that's what the nothing actually is when you like actually look <laughs> yeah, at what yeah, they're it's not really a thing. And then, yeah. and then one is this is this very unexpressive puppet and the camera's just zooming in on it and it's just it's, it's just mouth agape there's just nothing going on and it's so funny it's because it's just it's just it's just like tree zoom tree zoom tree it's, ama- it's like it's only about bit. it's only about six minutes in it's brilliant yeah. um, but when you're a kid you just put that emotion on top of it yeah Definitely. and yeah. like puppets nowadays in theater are incredibly expressive oh, and you can awesome. use the actors to bring expression to it as well and so yeah. i actually feel like almost there's almost another level you can bring to it well through, i yeah. i really struggled I think I, I don't know if I said this to you earlier, but um, when I tried to show the film to my children, I think I first showed it, tried to show it to my son, um, maybe 12, 15 years ago. I really struggled to watch it because actually it's awful. It's awful. The puppetry is dreadful. And, and the, <laughs> the, you know, the, the special effects are really clunky and old fashioned. And you can see where everything's cut and pasted together. And, and I yeah. just watched it going oh how did i oh how did i believe that you know whereas yeah. when i was a kid it was so real it was just yeah everything was real i was terrified of the nothing and i remember gamork being absolutely petrifying like i couldn't bear yeah. to watch him when he was on screen but then when you see it again now it, it's just a wolf um yeah it's like a funny stop motion it is, thing it as is. well yeah so um <laughs> I think we could do a better job of it now. I think with all the Definitely. magic that we can create in theatre and how how masterful puppetry is. And um, there are some puppet makers uh, who I've worked with over the years, you know, Nick Barnes and Charlie Timms and uh, Toby Ollier, who are, who are just extraordinary. And they could, oh my goodness, they could create this world which would be far beyond anything you could, you could imagine yourself. They're just brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And even get like... Uh, yeah and sorry i'm just thinking of other special effects that we could probably do better than they do in this film like the the, <laughs> the little people there's like the the scientist and the the wench i mean doing yeah, yeah, air yeah. quotes um who <laughs> who he meets and they're very small they're supposed to be like the size of his yeah, hand or really something teeny, really, except yeah. except only in some shots yeah. <laughs> like only only sometimes and there's there's one shot where the the woman gives him a cup and the cup is the same size in her hand as it is in his. Oh, I'm like, brilliant. I'm like, come on, guys. It should be teeny <laughs> Just a little, little bit more effort. And also they do that thing where, like, the, the other person is just further away, so they look smaller. Yeah. But they don't achieve it clever, at all. He just looks like he's further away. Yeah. Like, it's, it's brilliant. And I'm like, I think we could do that better. And I don't even I don't yeah. need to talk about what, like, how. Like, we'll just do that better. We can definitely <laughs> do, do that better. better. But no, I think, I mean, considering when it comes, I think it's a brilliant attempt <laughs> i think there's some i i yeah. w- was saying to jake before we start recording i think there's some really cool stuff in it where like there was a time where you could just like paint you could just like get your shot of like the set and then you could just paint around it yes yeah. like you know physically like animate around it and uh and people would just accept that and and actually like in a way it, it although it's very stylized i think it looks better than a lot of a lot of the like cg shots we'll get now because like mm. now we've decided oh no it has to be computer generated and it has to look as realistic pos- as possible if you don't have the budget to back that up it just looks yeah. like a rubbery yeah, really cg awful. model right yeah. yeah and actually to have done something that, like the if you did this now but as a choice of like stylized like painted um 
that look to it i think that's a, like a really cool oh, I love uh, the sound of look that. that you don't you don't have that anymore on film yeah. I, I just think yeah it's um and there's and yeah you could incorporate that into a stage show i am thinking like you could put up like you, you know although you could be in a woodlands and stuff you could like put up these huge back painted backdrops as well um to like i don't know, hide the road that's Definitely. behind it or whatever well, I, you know? I love um do you love wes anderson films you know yes. the, the the beautiful yeah. kind of oh, i don't know how he does it the the most incredible kind of color palette in every in every scene and in every moment there's little nuance and, and touches to that and i think we could do that we could paint the scenery but with a very beautiful stylized approach so that every yes. every place you went you knew you were still in the same story um yeah yeah but it doesn't have to be real you know it doesn't have to be no. hyper real at least it could be our imagination it's fantasy yeah. yeah it is yeah. fantasy and that's the other thing the thing that's strangely refreshing for such an old film because I think we sort of seem to have decided now that like Lewis and Tolkien invented fantasy and Rowling and Kevin Foggy have perfected it and and there's sort of not much else and so it's like really refreshing actually to watch a film with characters in it that I actually hadn't seen before yeah. or yeah. I have yeah. but not for a long time yeah um yeah and i thought yeah. it was neat because it, it, it there's a line like right towards the beginning with the the weird bookshop guy where he's like you know he's asking like bastion if he's read books before and he's like oh you know i've read wizard of oz and and lord of the rings and stuff and the guy's like oh well this ain't you know this ain't lord of the rings this is <laughs> way crazier than that and i thought it was neat because it kind of it says like oh this is this is your sort of cultural starting point and this is what like where we've taken it and there is sort of like an an acknowledgement of like the film owes something to like the work of Tolkien and 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 what's come before, but it's it does take it to a completely different place. Like the idea of the nothing is like is such a wacky idea, like and an idea that I would say like is, would be considered like a bit like too meta and a bit too weird even for like today's audiences. I think that's like really, I, yeah. There's something about that as well. Like like you say, Jake, like of, coming out of 1984, that that's like yeah, quite a, a neat piece of storytelling, I guess. The nothing to me is absolutely that coming of age thing where you stop believing in fairies yeah that, that's what it is yeah. it's, it's the moment where you you turn 15 and you're way too cool to believe that you know uh uh i don't know a hobbit was roaming across a mountaintop or um yes. you know darth vader has a errant child you know you just kind of go oh that's not that's not cool anymore and that's exactly what the nothing is the nothing is saying yeah. if you stop imagining if you stop having fun if you stop being a child then what point is there to everything there's no point. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's what it always meant oh, to me gosh. anyway. Yeah, sorry so about that, sad. guys. Yeah, so sad. And, and yeah, actually, that, that actually gave me a bit of hope, actually, that the book the bookkeeper in a 1984 movie was going, kids these days don't like books, they're all on their bleepy, bleepy book groups. And I was like, that hasn't changed in 40 years. No, it hasn't. <laughs> People still no. say that. Yeah, kids these days, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, I think, to be honest, I think that might bring us to the the end of this conversation as we always say sally that this is kind of like the first hour of like how a conversation would begin about these shows you know you Amazing. talk about all the big ideas and then it would be hours and hours and hours afterwards to actually make any of those things happen and it's um, millions and millions of dollars yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we, we gotta yeah. get we gotta get some good funding in place for this one yeah absolutely <laughs> um but thank you so much for coming on um and and chatting about this i really enjoyed watching the film because uh, i'd never seen it oh and good I i'm really so enjoyed... glad you did yeah no i mean i there's definitely you know i it's not a perfect film but there's definitely <laughs> um a there's a lot to love about it though and and i think 
some of the design is really really cool yeah. and yeah and some of that stuff we've talked about with the story about how it's sort of the, this really sincere like you know celebration of imagination yeah. is, is, you don't get that anymore I think that's really cool Sally um Tell us, what are you up to at the moment? Uh, well, I hesitate to ask that in, the, in our Omicron-riddled world. Oh, yeah. Um, do you have some some social media or internet that people can reach you on to find out more about your work? Uh, uh, this is your social. Well, I'm not very active on the socials, uh, only because nobody would be really interested in what I have to say about the world. Um, mostly my social media is about my family and my running hobby. Um, but... Uh, I've just finished doing Pinocchio at the Chichester Festival Theatre, where I was the stage manager, and uh, we managed to avoid Omicron. We were very, very fortunate. We got through the whole run. Only one cast member um, missed 10 days of the run, sadly, for for COVID, but everybody else managed to to keep it at bay, which was brilliant. Um, And that's what I do every Christmas. I spend every Christmas every year and have done for the last 20 something years um, at the Chichester Theatre. Um, And now I'm back at the college. training up next year's stage crew um and uh, i really love it i'm really lucky to work with some incredible young technicians and uh, send them out into the world you know my favorite thing is hearing back from technicians who have gone into the business and are, and are loving it and living it and you know just having the life that i had when i was their age in my 20s so it was brilliant and i would say having been stage managed by you for a <laughs> production <laughs> the um yeah just how uh, great it is to have someone who has yeah that like incredible experience and ha- is so caring about and passionate about young people making theatre definitely something I appreciated at the time oh, and I know lovely. other people at the time would have um, and thank you for coming and talking on my podcast oh it's <laughs> my pleasure and how lovely to see well. you yeah and it's so great that you're still talking about theatre you know that's that's yeah. what that's why I love it that's why I love being at the beginning of people discovering this incredible world because it is the most amazing life you know we're never going to be millionaires working in theatre but I tell you we're <laughs> going to have a great time it's a lot of fun absolutely yeah. yeah and Caleb if people would like to see you having a great time on the internet where can they find you <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Caleb Lebster. That's C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. Jake, where can people find you online? They can still very confusingly find me online <laughs> on Twitter at Jake underscore Mori or on Instagram at Jakey Mori. That's J-A-K-E-Y-M-O-R-R-Y. Or indeed on Letterboxd at Jake Reach. That's J-A-K-E-R-E-E-S-H. But we are Maybe You Like It Productions and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe You Like It. That's with the letter U. Or on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions. That's with the word U. Or you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybeyoulikeit.co.uk and do give us a uh, a little review or uh, or like wherever you get your podcast. Spotify have just introduced a new rating feature for podcasts, yeah. which is very new and very go exciting. Ahead and rate us. So if you're listening on Spotify right now, or even if you're not, go search us on Spotify and just just scroll up to the top there. Go on, you, right now. Go on, <laughs> right now. Click click the little star thing and give us give us those five sweet stars and uh, and and we thank you very much. Uh, but otherwise maybe you liked that maybe you didn't next week we'll have a different guest but that's another story that was a maybe you like it production maybe you liked it maybe you didn't <laughs>